Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Marty. I'm Moby. And I'm Leland. So we're here again, boys. Uh, episode 11. Woo! Let's play. And it's not like a let's play. I don't even know why. Why is it called let's play? Probably because... Well, we're reviewing a game. We're doing our first board game review right. of the podcast. So let's play a board game and review it. Yes, and uh, the movie section will have a lot of Christmas cheer, a lot of good, wholesome (laughs) talk about family-friendly films. No sarcasm at all here, listener. Come all ye faithful. Uh, Looks like... uh, (laughs) That was a great pause, eh? (laughs) Joyful and disemboweled. Sorry, I was like... I just remembered, like, oh, shit, I didn't put my phone on silent. And then I was, like, scrambling around for it. What? <laughs> you think you have friends that are actually going to give you a Hey, call? I uh, am blowing up on Twitter right now. Yes. <laughs> bots. <laughs> bots. They're all those, like, Twitter cam girls or whatever. That's what I got you for Christmas was Twitter followers. Oh. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I actually just hit 160 yesterday. Oh, shit. All right. I'm liking it. Well, you're about to hit 165. hey Well, as Joe... As uh, listener Jyoti actually told us, um, what happens is if you get Twitter boosts in foreign countries, you get way more followers Bang out for of your it. buck. So, if we target Uzbekistan, you will absolutely blow up. All right. That's good. You would be pretty everything. wicked to be famous in Uzbekistan. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You ain't going to be famous anywhere else, so. <laughs> oh, not with that oh. attitude. <laughs> Well, I guess crazy about cardboards first, but we have the obligatory banter segment. <laughs> obligatory. <laughs> uh, you, Moby? Yeah, I just want to bring up, and since I bought you something, everybody has to contribute to this segment, but Black Friday sales, movies, board games, uh, or video games, hauls. So, just want to hear what, what you guys hauled in, what you're excited about. Let's start with you, Marty. Okay, well, this is going to drop in like two weeks, but... Black week. Sure, One but week. hey, you know what, let's just... Oh, yeah, it'll, only be a week. Yeah. it'll be a week after Cyber... A week yeah. Cyber Monday. Okay, so that's actually pretty good for us. That's not that bad. Yeah, that's relevant. Um, a little bit. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, well, no, for me, it was great. I mean, I picked up a uh, gaming uh, PC just on a pre-Black Friday sale, so I'm just waiting for that to show up. I got a Alienware, and uh, everyone probably thinks I'm a loser for that, but that's okay. Saves me time and effort building a damn computer, so yeah, there we go. Um, Especially when you've never done it before. Exactly, and I wanted like top-notch everything. The sale was pretty comparable to building it myself, and it's just going to show up ready to go, hopefully, unless it's broken, which would be awful. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be garbage. <laughs> It'd be pretty terrible. <laughs> Yeah, so I got that coming up. Um, I ordered a couple games off Steam to go with it. Um, picked up uh, Wolfenstein New Colossus for half price. And I picked up. Oh, Div- yeah, I saw that half price. It's half price on PSN as well. Yeah, I picked up Divinity uh, 2 as well. The hell is that? Uh, it's like a Baldur's Gate style game. Oh, okay. I think we briefly talked about it the other night. Yeah, you know what? I think we did. But we were a few beers in, so (laughs) I I forgive you for forgetting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. so I picked that up as well. That was a big $5 off. Uh, Big sale. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was worth it. And then I got a a gift on Steam, too, for my birthday. So I got a whole bunch of stuff to play. Sweet. Uh, Moby? 
Yeah, you know what? This is embarrassing, but for anyone that knows me, this is completely expected. I bought us all a game, and I honestly forget the name of that survival. This war, war of mine. This war of mine. Okay. I'm going to make it shine. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I was going to do that. Uh, so it's a it's a war game. It's uh, very much a survival game. Uh, what's cool about it is you're civilians in a war zone. So the war's going on around you. There's lots of danger. You've got to scavenge for food and uh, materials to like build a bed and somehow survive i haven't really dug into it uh yet but i know leland has yeah i've played uh quite a uh, probably five or six hours of it already yeah my current game is not going well <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the fun and yeah. what, i bought it as something that we could all play and discuss in a future episode down the road here so everything i bought was video game related i gotta thank marty for tipping me off about uh dead space 2 now I haven't played any of the Dead Spaces yet, but they've been recommended to me by multiple friends. And actually, there was a, for $2 more than the already super cheap Dead Space 2 was a package that included Dead Space 1. That's something about those Steam sales. That is the best they, thing ever. That is. They do the a, a weird job of, uh, so you'll go on there, it'll be like 75% off for a game. And then you click on it, and you're reading about it, and then you realize just below, it's like, oh, the collector's edition with all the DLC is only about $2 more. Yeah. You click on that, and you're like, well, you could buy the whole series. <laughs> and that's about $16. <laughs> so, like, um, Civilization Five, you and I were talking about that. Yeah. I mean, that was on sale with all the additional content for $13. It was, like, ended up being, like, 92% off. That's awesome. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And as someone who's played that game, I do hope you did buy that with all the DLC. I haven't yet okay. because I spent so much money this last week. So I'm fair kind of contemplating. I also have a lot to play, but yeah. it would be a smart purchase. I know. Yeah. Just, just for that game, especially since I played the hell out of it, do not get it without all the DLC. It's yeah. like a skeleton of a game. Mm. So yeah, I remember you t- telling me about that. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I bought was... Uh, or did we talk about that during our Discussing Loser Charge segment? I think. That, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. About Civilization. I think yeah, we did, It yeah. was specifically Civilization Six that I was talking about, but they've oh, all been like that. Okay. Where they're bare bones, just the basic game. Hmm. Uh, the last thing I bought was a strategy game. I haven't played it at all yet. Uh, Europa Universalis 4. And it had really good reviews. And I was actually going to buy it for a buddy of mine uh, who lives in Ontario. Uh, but by the time I got to the checkout in the lower right corner, I noticed it says, you have one friend that plays this game. And it was him. Uh, he's never mentioned it to me. And we game all the time. So I switched the click from gift to myself because I was like, ah, it's already oh, in there. Christmas for Moby. Uh, nice and early. So that's you, my You're home. at the cash register. You might as well just go through. That's right. You know, <laughs> why not? Impulse buy. Leland, yeah. anything you? Nothing. Want? Nothing? No. Okay. Not a damn thing. Well, I did get a few other things, but they're gifts, so you guys don't get to know. And I could tell the uh, podcast, but then you guys listen to your own podcast like losers, and you'll actually... (laughs) Hey, we have to pump up our listens. I know. (laughs) No, uh, yeah, I I can't. It's top secret. Okay. Oh, all right. That's that's my banter. That's weird. Uh, did you have something, Martin? Did you already go? I was just going to go off about how I spent way too much money on a PC that I can't wait to play. That I'm basically, you know, the Simpsons episode where he's sitting there waiting for the gun? Uh, And and he just sees targets going by. (laughs) That's like me, wait, like seeing Steam sales and like seeing like keyboards and mice and all these things. I'm just, yeah. 
pulling my fucking hair out waiting. So it's going to show up. I'm probably going to have to quit my job. Jeez. Just how it goes. <laughs> That's usually how it works, right? Yeah. You know. I like it. Priorities. I like it. Well, I didn't have much for banter myself. Um, although I did want to give a shout out to another board gaming podcast. Uh, they've been super supportive of the show since our inception, basically, and continued to be uh, across the board podcast. Uh, Ryan and Dan over at Across the Board. A couple of great guys. Show's awesome. They're like a bi-monthly uh, board gaming podcast. Um, they're pretty relatively new, too. They've been doing it, I think, a year or a little over a year, I think, around there. They're on their 20th episode. Uh, they recently gave us a glowing iTunes review, so very helpful of them. And, you know, they were even even throw out some uh, nice editing, editing tips for myself. So, did you, did you say their names were Ryan and Dan? Ryan and Dan, yeah. Ryan and Dan, we appreciate it. Checks in the mail. <laughs> Actually, one thing they do that I really love, um, they have this no games left behind thing. Hashtag no games left behind. Use it. Trend it. Follow it. Where they they hide they highlight games that have a uh, board game geek geek rating of higher than two hundred and fifty. So you know they focus those games that they're they're really great, but. They're just for some reason the the track they haven't maybe they haven't gotten the right traction or but but they're still just great games and should be highlighted. So I, I do have a uh, hashtag hashtag no games left behind. My game is Raptor. Uh, it has a BGG ranking of three fifty four, and I actually wrote a little bit about this in I did a like two player showcase thing on my uh, Leland Seal Fiction site. Um, so you could check that out if you want. I'll put it in the show notes. But it's like a two player only game. Where one player plays as uh, like a mama raptor, and the other player plays as a scientist trying to capture the mama's babies, and it's like this. It's a it's a like modular board. It's you know it's not that modular, but um, but each player has it's card driven. So each player has a hand of cards one through nine, and each number has a power or a, yeah. So if you if they have a power on them, they correspond to a power. So at simultaneously, both players play a card. Whoever has the uh, higher number card, I think that's what it is, do, does the power of the card. And then the player with the lower number gets the difference in action points that they do. So it's a kind of a cool thing like you, you got to get into your, your opponent's head and be like, okay, I'm they're probably maybe going to go high and try to get some, maybe get those action points or, or whatever kind of thing, right? It's really fun. Super fun game. But uh, 354, I was surprised. I don't know. That's a great Great two-player game. Very original idea. It's super cool. Yeah, yeah. Is so, the Mama Raptor called Clever Girl? Is that her <laughs> that's right. Name? Yeah. Well, she's only, there's only one of her, so she can't flank. Oh, so she can't shit. Uh, she can't in, in put into the Clever Girl tactics. But. Oh, that's in the expansion. Ah, that's right. But like the scientists are going around and like they can shoot the sleeping the Mama Raptor with like uh, like uh, sleeping gas, and so you take like a sleeping dart token and put it on your your player sheet, and it like slows you down. So when you gain, if you get action points, every sleeping token on you reduces those action points by one. It's a fucking pain in the ass getting hit. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like all the scientists need is like a line of sight straight down a row or column, and just go boom, take an action and shoot you and hit you. It's fun. It's nice. fun. Yeah. So the the scientists win when they ca- if they capture all five of the baby raptors, and then the raptor wins if they get if she the mama raptor gets the baby raptors moved off the board or uh, kills every scientist on the board. Yeah, that's fine. Nice. But that is my hashtag no game left behind. Well, I've actually got one more thing. Oh. Uh, I 
actually forgot to about two weeks ago, Leland and I, we were um, on a little mini vacation and we played a few games that I hadn't played before, at least. Oh, I, thank you for bringing this up. I and the one I really want to talk about, we could talk about all of them with briefly, but Flick 'em Up. That was really cool. So this is like a dexterity based game. And it was something new for me. I mean, we, we I'd never really played anything like it. So most of the gameplay revolves around shooting a disc. You're basically cowboys and you're shooting a disc at each other with your finger, like literally flicking it. And you're trying to kill each other's team, like knock knock these uh, your opponents down to uh we, we played like a deathmatch style game. Yeah. Um, there are scenarios. He homebrewed stuff. the shit out of it. But man, it was cool. It and, was really like, fun. It, it really made it like cinematic, like I mean Maybe it helped that we had a few beers, but it, it, it was a pretty uh, pretty enjoyable game. It always felt like the games were close and, like, really intense. Like, we're shooting at each other from across the table. It was really fun. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah, man, you you hit it. Cinematic. It was, man, this game tells a story. Every single move you take tells a story. Like, it's insane. It's I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Because we actually mentioned it in previous episode when you guys we were talking about coming, some of your favorite games. And you mm-hmm. said... Talk Woodman was one of your favorites right. that you played, and I had said I'm not a big fan of dexterity games, but man, this this game changed my opinion. I I loved this game. Now we clarify, we did play with the wooden version. You can get a cheaper plastic version with plastic plastic components, basically. So like the discs that, that would all be plastic. Um, not sure how the difference would be. I don't know. I really enjoyed the wooden components. It gave it some weight for sure. Yeah. It felt like when you had to move pieces, because we were moving pieces by shooting them. Yeah. So, like, I have no idea what the rules were at that point. <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, it, you know, like, it seemed like you had to really, you know, put some force behind these shots to get any effort out of them or get anything out of them. Yeah, totally. Which is pretty cool. Totally. Yeah, I really like the, um, you're able to collect different weapons. So, like, you get, like, a rifle, and the rifle gives you, like, a, uh, like a channel to put your bullet in so you can aim it better. And you can basically, like, snipe people from across the table with this rifle. Well, if you're not me. If you're me, you miss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really fucking bad at this game. Yeah, we're having, so like, bad. showdowns. Yeah. Like, you have duels if you enter the same building. So, like, you're at either end of the table firing at each other. And it's pretty hilarious. You're slowly moving closer and closer. And at one point, we were literally, like, a phone's length away from each other, somehow missing. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah, I'm, I'm garbage at this game. Thank God we played teams because I would not have been able to hold up on my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one play teams of one would have been really scary. <laughs> that would have been bad. It would have been pretty cool having like, you know, a four-player free-for-all as well. Mm-hmm. It would be tough to do though because it only comes with two different colored cowboy meeples, right? That's so, true. Yeah, so that like the game, it comes with a, a, I thought, a big thick book of scenarios. So, you, you know, it tells you kind of how to set up the the build the town because it comes with like buildings and stuff right that yeah this was funny your cowboys can dive in but the the book i'm like looking at this book i'm like oh wow this book's huge but it had it wasn't really it was like 10 scenarios with like three different languages in it so it, it looked like it was three times as big but i don't know we didn't look at the scenarios we just kind of it was funny setting up the setting up the town we each kind of each team would take a turn placing an item on just to build it right and then that's kind of how we did it it was really fun. Really fun. Definitely recommend Flick Em Up for sure. Our town looked really stupid. Oh, it was ridiculous because we just like... <laughs> the buildings are facing the wrong way. Yeah, we're just like placing them to fuck over the other team basically, right? I mean, like if you walk down Main Street and the bank's backwards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Because we don't want people shooting out of the bank. <laughs> we got fucking cacti in the middle of the goddamn road and tumbleweeds blocking buildings. <laughs> and civilians in doorways. Yeah. Yeah. Fences all over the place. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys are not architects. Oh, man. So glad. That would have been a great architect. We build for war. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we want to move into the crazy little cardboard? Yeah, yeah. let's move to... The crazy about cardboard segment. And today, like I said, we're going to do our first ever board game review on the podcast. And today we're going to review Kemet. It's uh, by, I think it was out in 2011 by Matigo Games. Um, it's funny, every time I think of this game, or every time I listen to the Brawling Brothers podcast, I always think of uh, Josh from the Brawling Bro. He, <laughs> they reviewed this in one of their way past episodes because the game is kind of old. We're a little behind the times right now, but that's fine. But he, he always pronounces it, Kemet, Kemet. <laughs> and so I literally, every time I listen to them, I always, <laughs> it always just runs through my head and I just chuckle every time. I guess you had to be there. You, oh, it's funny. It's just funny. I thought it was, oh, that's another great podcast brawling brothers podcast you should definitely check them out too actually i think we've mentioned both across the board and brawling brothers in like one of our very first episodes but anyways <laughs> kemet i think you're gonna have to cricket your own joke maybe <laughs> no okay <laughs> well not. fans of the brawling brothers well, they're will, gonna get it we'll get it they're gonna fucking laugh well that wasn't for you gentlemen that was for listener all right everything we do here is for listener. i'm not here to entertain you that's schmucks. true he's got you there marty yeah a little bit all right, I'm putting the hood up right now. We're getting into the game mode here. Oh, shit, son. Okay, Kemet. Kemet. <laughs> ah, see, I got to chuckle. <laughs> okay, so Kemet is, it's, it's, uh, it's like a, it's basically a war game. This is the, I, the point of it is like combat and it's, uh, Egyptian themed. So every, every player has kind of a, an army that they're battling to gain victory points. And you gain victory points in a number of ways. Mainly, if you, if you win a bat, if you're the attacker and you win a battle, you gain a permanent victory point. There are temples, spaces on the board that you can take and hold. And if you are holding a temple space, you get a temporary victory point. There's like these power pyramids that you can upgrade. If you upgrade one all the way to the fourth level, you get a permanent or uh, temporary point. There's lots, lots of points, lots of points going around. But there are temporary and permanent victory points. The temporary ones are points that could potentially be stolen from you by your opponents, like the temples. If you are holding a temple, and if I'm holding a temple, and Moby moves in with his units and we fight and he wins, not only does he get a permanent victory point for winning that battle, but he also steals that temporary temple victory point I have because now he controls that temple. And uh, first player... Or, yeah, you play to eight or ten points, depending on length of game, whatever you want to do. And at the end of the round, if the player with someone has hit eight points, the end of the round, uh, the player with the highest points will win. Like, so if, if Marty, which he did in one of the games we played, gets to eight points, we have that round to maybe take away those temporary points from him. So if you knock him down below eight, but are boosting yourself up to eight or over, then you're going to steal that win kind of thing. You guys shot yourself in the foot that game. Oh? Well, you guys could have all teamed up on me. Yeah, we tried at the end. But Moby was waging a war on nobody in the corner. <laughs> you, you, were, <laughs> you, you, were, you were fighting everyone. And meanwhile, I was just kind of slipping and sliding my way to victory. I yeah. played the long game there, Marty. The long game. I learned from Leland. 
the oh, long game. Oh, thanks. Well, I'm sorry. This game, the name of this game is Aggression. I wrote That's that this, down too. This yeah. game very much promotes aggression. Totally, totally. That's how you are successful. And I think Marty, in that four, we played that four player game, you really employed it well. For me, my favorite part of this game is how historically accurate it is. <laughs> like the fact that you can ride like a phoenix or like a giant scorpion. I think that represents ancient Egypt well. Yeah, it's incredibly accurate. Would it be unfair? Like, would you guys know what I'm getting at if I call it the anti-scythe? It's an area control game involving armies. But in this case, like Leland just said, or and Marty elaborated on, it really pushes you to be aggressive. You get a victory point by being aggressive, by actually having combat instead of just pure area control. Right. And... I, yeah, I, I really like that. I get where you're, I get what you're saying with that. I mean, it's 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 the same the comparison that we've made I've made before between Scythe and Shogun. Like I said, they are different types of game, really. But I, I understand what you're saying because yeah, yeah. I mean, unlike in Scythe, you in Kemet you can gain any number of victory points through combat, whereas you know Scythe you're only limited to depending on what faction you're playing two of those six stars that you potentially earn to reach that in-game condition. Uh, I get what you're saying with that. I get it. Is that why you like it? Do you like the aggression in it? Well, that's probably my third favorite part of it. Um, my first favorite is I just love the power system. It, yeah. it feels video gamey, and I mean that in the best possible way. It feels like the level one powers are level one powers. They're okay to have. But by the time you're picking up those characters that you can summon, those beasts at like level three and four, for the most part, it's amazing. They're so powerful. I'll never forget my first game where, um, uh, well, just back up a little bit here. I love how the powers are also distributed into utility, defense, and offense as well. Right. So you can kind of shape that way. And there's a lot of powers. There's quite a few powers, yeah. So for a listener, if you don't know the game... Like I, I mentioned, the, the the power pyramid. So in your starting city, each player has three uh, different colored pyramids. You got red, blue, and white. And like Moby said, uh, red is usually aggressive powers. Blue is going to be more defensive, and white will be utility, like economy or economy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much economy. Yeah, Soon pretty you get much, to right? that lich at the end. Yeah, uh, totally. Till that, that fucking mummy. Mummy. So if when you. You can upgrade these pyramids. They will start at like a level one, and throughout the game, you can take one of the one of the actions you can take is to upgrade your pyramid. So you pay prayer points, which is the currency of the game, and then you you change it from okay level one to level two. Now that level two pyramid in that color gives you access to level two power tiles that correspond to that pyramid's color. So if you got a level two red pyramid, you now have access to level two red power tiles. Shocking. Yeah, very intuitive. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that. And my second favorite thing is I really like the battle system. It's very original. So I don't know if you want to explain that or... or sure, that. sure. Um, yeah, basically, okay, every player has six combat cards. And they, they all have identical combat cards. Um, not uncommon in, in some games, right? So ha- when you enter a battle, you move your troop, which is just your collection of units... That's what they're called in the game. They call them troops. You move them into a space occupied by an opponent's troop. You then, uh, both players, then choose two of their six cards, pick one of them to discard, and then the other to play. 
Now these cards will depict uh, additional uh, attack value or uh, maybe a, I forget what it's actually called, but it's kind of like an attrition value or a defense value kind of thing. Cause, or wounds, I think they just call them. Yeah, wounds. So because even even if you your attack value does not exceed your opponents and you lose the battle, you may still be able to inflict casualties with those wound those that wound value killing some of their their units in that troop. Yeah, because there's attack, wound, and defense. I believe basically that's about it. So each of these six cards have varying values across these three categories. And so after you've you've picked one, you uh, then each player can choose to add like a, a divine intervention card. Is there again just a, a, an additional? It's a, this little additional deck of random powers and abilities that you could play throughout the game, depending on the the, the card and when it dictates what phase of the game you can play it in. And then you just reveal them and you add up the attack strengths. One each unit in your troop adds one attack uh, uh, attack strength value plus whatever your cards do. But the cool thing is that first battle, you have all the options. But then as you go to your second battle, you only have four cards to pick from. Third battle, you're down to two. And then once you hit that fourth battle, you then reshuffle all those attack cards and you have your full six accessible to you. So you can, you can, it's part, uh, part of the strategy is you can pick on maybe opponents that you see have been in two, one or two battles already and have very limited choices on their attack cards after you've gotten all six back. So you could walk in and stomp them. And the game offers uh, the vari- a choice of the players to play with those discarded attack cards uh, face up or face down. So you can kind of, you know, either it's going to give the players a little more information or give them a little less and make them rely on trying to figure out and remembering what that player has already played to try to game their deck kind of thing. Yeah. And what I really like about that is, is there's so many, there's so many layers of depth to the strategies that can you, you can use when you attack. So if you just want to win the battle, jump in with a high attack card, but for the most part, the cards with high attack don't also have a very high number of wounds. So you may win the battle, but all you're going to do is push that enemy army out of the way sometimes. Whereas you may want to go into a battle almost suicidally and burn a card that's got like three wounds on it and attrition that army and fuck it up so they can't do anything to you on the next turn. Or you can move in another army later and that's mess right. them up. That's I right. just I love how it, it's multidimensional in the strategies you can use to fight. Yeah, and and they're not ridiculously depthy strategies, but there's a breadth of them, and you have you know, and that decision could that you make can literally deter be the deciding factor whether or not you have a troop left on the board to even retreat after that battle, or you just get wiped out. Right, like you and I, Moby, had a battle, and you won, but I just went scorched earth, and I just killed everybody. I remember that. I, I yeah. think both of our, or I, I at least wiped out all your troop. Yeah, I took some casualties myself, but I just like I, I because the choices I had at that point. I knew that I there wasn't a good chance of me to win. So I don't know if I was defending the temple. I think I was defending yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I was. It was a rare attack by Moby. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to win this. Uh, I I don't want to give him just freely give him an, an, a, a a victory point for winning this battle. So I'm just going to wipe him out. So in order for Moby to have gotten that victory point, he would have had to have a unit remaining in that troop. 
even though neither of us we I lost control of that temple still, but I did hamper some of the the ex the 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 benefit of Moby's attack. So yeah, really cool. I like that part too. I do yeah. like that, and it's quick. Like it's really quick. It is quick, and. The fact that you already mentioned that you get a victory point, which is permanent for each battle you win, I like that that propels the game forward because some of these games that we play, even if we enjoy them, they can go on for a long time and it doesn't seem like you're constantly moving towards any kind of definitive victory. But if you start racking up wins in this game, those victory points are going to stack up pretty quick. You're right. And it just feels like battles are constantly going on and the game is constantly moving forward. And I really like that, that it's not going to go too long. Something about the game I really enjoyed was just how small the map felt. It was mm-hmm. so easy to travel. Yes. Like you could quickly engage somebody within maybe one or two rounds, you'd be fighting. Yep. It didn't feel like you had to traverse a large map to get anywhere. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because the way the board, like the board, it's a really actually large board game like dimension wise the the board's pretty big but the spaces on the board are also huge and they also implement this like obelisk teleportation system so yeah. in your city from where you have a pyramid as part of the move action you could pay two prayer points to teleport that troop from that city section to anywhere there is an obelisk now they have obelisks in all of the palaces um or temp sorry temples so those temples are always able to be contested uh, because another way to gain permanent victory points is if you are holding two or more temples by the end of the round, you will gain a, a permanent temple victory point. So those, like Marty said, since they're always easy to get to, they can always be easily contested. So it's very difficult to hold two or more temples at any given time, I find. Mm-hmm. Because each player only has 12 actual units, like little army figures. And a troop can only consist of five max of those units. So, that you're not having, you're not moving huge in stats and scores of things across the board like you would in Risk or even Axes and Allies, right? It's not, the there is a build-up phase, I find, to this game, right? But it's not prolonged. It's not huge. You, you can only build up to a certain, certain point and then you're right back into the action. Because that was another thing that I, when playing this game, I'm like, wow. This game really ebbs and flows. This game is all, it's just one big, like, multi, multi-person tug of war across this board. Like, I mean, just those, the fact that there's permanent or temporary victory points. Those, I mean, it's always great to walk in and steal those from somebody. Like, that's like, that's a two point swing. If I'm taking yours and gaining one, that's a two point swing. Yeah. It's just like, even, even like when, like when I scorched earth, you Moby, and I often would get wiped out too. Like, Okay, great. My my troop is completely wiped out. I've got like the other seven of my dudes in reserve. I got nobody else. But you're only out for a turn, maybe two turns before you can rebuild that army and then move them out again, potentially teleporting right back into another fight. You're down, but you're never out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You it, that's it, it's it's really good. It's a cool system. And uh, I can explain the the actions, I guess. Um, like the, your your player board has like a like it's got a little pyramid on it, and it has a certain number of actions, six actions I think on it. But they're stacked in like like in levels of the pyramid. So the first action only has one, and then two, and then three. Oh, you know what? There might be ten, and then a fourth level. That makes sense. Fourth level. So by the end, 
a round consists of five actions from each player. And when you take an action, you just take one of your little action markers and mark it off of the action that you've taken. So in any given round, you can actually only do two move actions. There are only two move spots on that pyramid. But the the thing is, by the end of the round, you have to have taken an action in every level, I think, is that what it is, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, three levels. Yeah. Is it only three? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is only three. That makes sense. So you have to have taken an action in every one of those levels. You can't just load up, like, on the third tier. You can't just load, like, three of your five actions there and then take nothing in, in the higher tiers. I like that. It forced you so you couldn't just go attack, attack, attack. Yeah. You can only do two attacks yeah, per it, it's, round. It's a really, like, built-in balancing thing, especially since aggression, it, like, that's an extremely viable victory condition. Yes. Just going all out. Like, that's what you did, Marty. Yeah. You went all out on those red power tiles. I went all red. And slaughtered us. Like, you were walking around with this fucking scorpion, and man, that scorpion is a beast. What is it? Add two to your attack value and two to your your death total or whatever? Yes. You're killed? And then like, I paired oh. it with that card that would automatically kill two people before I even oh, yeah. yeah, the, the archers, archers or whatever. Yeah. Archers. Oh, that was brutal. Brutal. So, yeah, needless to say, Mo- Marty uh, cleaned up that one. You, like, handily won that game. It's funny because the scorpion ended up on an island and I couldn't get him back. <laughs> yeah. There was no way to teleport yeah. him home. There's, like, a there's a there's an island temple. And uh, it's a pretty powerful one. But you can teleport there because it has an obelisk, obviously. But there's no way to move your units off of it. So, Marty teleported the scorpion as part of the troop to take it back from somebody. And then, oh, shit, we realized... Oh, man, you can't get that guy off. Yeah, no one was going to go fight me, so he would go back to my home base. Exactly, right. So, that would have been the only way. If if that troop was defeated, uh, Marty could have recalled any surviving troops and then also would have taken the Scorpion back to redeploy. But, yeah. But, honestly, that was only, like, two rounds at the end of the game. But by then, it was clinched. Yeah. Like... I had another uh, being, too, I think, at that point. I think you had the snake. Yeah. Is that what it was, maybe? Yeah, snake. Yeah, yeah. Super, super cool. What else do we got here? Uh, yeah, like Moby said, those monster figures can really be devastating. Like, when you're, like, looking at a troop with a giant scorpion and you're like, there is no way I can win against that troop. I have to get a monster of my own. That's why I liked it. Every power-up, like, the especially the, like, level three or four ones, the way where you could get a monster or, like, the archer card, they felt substantial. And it, it really did feel like into, like, a video game where you finally leveled up all your abilities and you get like a really powerful special ability you feel almost godlike and maybe that's the point since we're basically playing ancient egypt and these are almost like god beings yeah it kind of felt a lot to me almost like in a final fantasy when you do a major summon oh yeah except it Uh, sticks around which is awesome yeah totally but you know bahamut you know come in Knights of the Round. <laughs> Knights of the Round is the best. But. Go take a shit. You got a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's great. So, is there any last minute things you guys wanted to add? Like, you pretty much... Well, I was wondering if on this board game review segment when we do these, are we going to give them ratings? I was just going to ask that. I don't want to. <laughs> I think what I am going to do... if I mean, we're going to continue to review things every now and then, right? I think I am just going to compile a, 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 li- a tiered list. And I will just rank them with no number, but I'll just rank them against each other. So the next game we rank, it's either going to be higher than Kev, I like it more, or I like it less. So oh, it's going to cool. be below. So yeah. I'm going to just kind of build this list, I think, and slot them in. Well, 
that's I think that's good because I think listener would be confused if we talk about how great Kemet is and you give it a four point <laughs> five. So right, very another confusing. aspect about like board games and just games in general it feels like as opposed to film, you need more time to really give it a solid rating. That's tough, it's and that tough. can for like you've said before, your your feelings on games change over time because you you know it's not like a film where you're going to watch it every three days. You're uh, well, it, uh, what I mean is, like, a film you don't watch every three days, a game you might play every three days. And so it might change after you've played it a hundred times. You might like it more or hate it. Right. And, uh, yeah, I think giving it a rating would be a terrible idea. I think giving it, doing what you're saying is great, and also giving it a uh, thumbs up, thumbs down kind of thing. Like, yeah, I think. We recommend like, it. Exactly. I is agree. it rotten or is it not rotten? Yeah. Tomato. It's certainly not rotten. I like the thumbs up, thumbs down idea too. It makes sure. me think we're like Roman Caesars and there's a gladiatorial <laughs> combat, except it's board games. Shall the game live or, or die? die. <laughs> I like thumbs up. Thumb yeah, up. I think that's cool. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do your ranking system, but let's also do a thumbs okay. up. Thumbs and we down. can, uh, we can uh, keep track of it on the site too. We'll just yeah, have a perfect, a little extra tap. I mean, obviously, great. My number one ranked. Board game on the T Hud podcast site is Kevin because well, it's the we only one. Start <laughs> but I guess I'll throw that out there. We we should do like one, two, three, thumbs up, thumbs down. See what everybody's gonna put. Now for Kemet, it's obvious we're all gonna go yeah, thumbs still up. Yeah, pretty high. But in the future, it. let's do something like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, it's definitely a thumbs up for me. Thumbs yeah. up. Yeah. Thumbs up. Woo. It shall live. Cool. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Um, there is uh, an expansion. I think it's called the uh, Kemet Tessetti. Um, I should actually get it. it. Comes with some modular stuff, but more most of the the best thing I've heard about it is it comes with an additional pyramid. It comes with a black pyramid and black power tiles, which are apparently pretty cool. So yeah, maybe we could revisit that if I pick it up in a banter or something. We could maybe talk about it and play it kind of. Thing. Yeah. I could actually swing it one way or the other later sure, on. Sure, so that, that maybe Kemet falls to number ten, and you get that expansion. It's like Kemet's number two again. Yeah, totally, and it just revives right it. behind revives Tip Top it. Woodshop. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no! No. Great. Well, we recommend it. Recommend it. Boom! Stamp of approval. Yeah. Bye, listen. Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> too early. Well, sorry, but I think we're ready for you with my segment. What's it called? I was just kidding. <laughs> Video Game Variety Show. And this one's going to be about the seventh console generation. I don't know if you guys actually did any research or anything. <laughs> Not really, no. I no. was like, I just kind of... This is the most recent in memory to me, really, right? This is this was a big one for you and I. One, yeah. And oh. go ahead, Bobby. Oh, I was going to say it's a big one for me, Um, but this is the first console generation where I differentiated meaning like in past console generations i own a playstation one and i own a playstation two i owned an n64 i own a gamecube from this generation on i was only nintendo fanboy and so i just want to throw that out there that i'm not going to be able to shine too much light except for the wii but i've got lots of notes on the wii although now you are going back and playing these games from last generation such as dead space that is true right because they're all being re-released i do have a pc well i'll have a note on that remind me later Mm mm-hmm Oh, yes, that is one big thing. I actually forgot about that. I have a few big uh, kind of... Gripes? Gripes and maybe... Uh, Rants? Tre- Are we going to rant? Trends that I saw in this ah, era. okay. Mm. Now, this is a really long era of games. Yeah, this is a big one. So, this is it officially goes from 2005 to 2012. Wow. Whoa. And it started wow. with the 360, I believe. 
Uh, that come out before PS3? Yes, I think so. Okay. It did. I think they came, well, maybe they came out at the same time. Similar. Uh, surely within the Wii, came, the Wii came out the year later, I believe. The Wii was like 2006. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. because I remember I, I got the Wii and then I went, man, these next gen graphics for Gears of War look really cool. And I went, I immediately <laughs> bought a 360 <laughs> as well because I was my, like, I was just starting to work. So I dropped like $1,500 on video games. Got no bills. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a wicked time. I just walked to work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lived at home, bought video games. And I still save money. I don't know how that worked. Woo. Yeah. Doesn't happen. Because you're a penny pincher there, Marty. <laughs> I am. You well. splurge. When you splurge, you splurge good. I do. He's making up but for you, you and me, Leland. Yeah. <laughs> We're not the best. I have a constant money. in the red <laughs> when it, as far as it goes to my hobbies. <laughs> Leland's out of the blue and into the red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So 2005 started with the 360. And I think the 360 is really what I mostly played during this generation. I had I had all three. I had the PS3. I had the Wii. I played a bit of the Wii, and then I kind of tapered off to the point where, like, pieces of my Wii are missing. And, like, I don't know where half of it is. I think Moby might have some of the pieces that I gave to him, like, as additional like, backup, pieces. backup pieces. And if he doesn't, he can have the rest. Honestly, I think I only have one game left for it. I had to, I had a few, and a few, honestly, like, my, my nieces and nephews borrowed and just destroyed. Because, uh, you know, kids love their Wiis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Moby. So, <laughs> a big thing about this generation, for me, was the, the aspect that it finally felt like next-gen. And I know, like, all gens are, like, next-gen, but this one was, like, HG, HD gaming 1080p is here. Graphics were phenomenal. And... Looking to like the the generation that followed, it almost felt like a 0.5 generation at first. Mm. Looking at PS4, yeah. Now we're seeing the PS4 Pro. We're seeing the uh, Xbox One X, where they're finally hitting 4K and like they're running almost right. at like a high powerful computer level. Right, because at the beginning of this generation, it was HDMI. What? Like, what is this cord? Oh, with the uh, the 360. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I well, if you actually have a Wii. They initially had the uh, just like the, the AV, the component, AV component cables. Yeah, that's yeah. it. No, no HD capability. No, and I actually found it hard to plug it into my uh, nicer television later on down the road. Yeah, there's. I have a lot of gripes about the Wii, but the Wii was pretty fun for a while there too. That one. That's another big thing is motion controls and yeah. gimmicks. And we can get into that later. I fucking hate that. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, and we'll, we'll dive into that because I think there's a lot to cover here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So w- what we usually do first is talk about games that defined the generation. And and we should usually pick one that we think defined the generation. I'm not saying favorites. That's different. But we'll do for defined. Um, I'm going to go to Moby first because I have one, but I'll go to Moby. Yeah, you know what? And the game that I'm going to say here defines the generation for me um, by no means am I happy to see this. I'm going to spit out my coffee, I bet. I thought we were just doing favorite. We do definitely. We usually do defining and I thought we did uh, favorites, favorites first. Okay. Oh, we're doing defining now. I, I guess, yeah, okay. we're running okay. with it now. Sorry. It's Marty's segment mode. I know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was okay. uh, drifting out of So, defining for the Wii, I am sorry to say, was Wii Sports. The game that came with the Wii. And <laughs> what? because what that did, what that did, first of all, the Wii was incredibly popular for sales. I mean, that thing sold a shit ton. Yeah. But what it laid down with Wii Sports was a very casual, family-friendly, new gamers that wouldn't otherwise play like mom and dad kind of thing. And 
What you ended up getting for the Wii because of that is a bunch of shovelware that just relied on swinging the damn Wiimote in like four different directions. Right. And, and I hated that. And I really think that Wii Sports laid down that, that road work that basically took hardcore gaming for the most part for a, a hardcore gamer like me out of Nintendo for, I would say, at least the following two generations, possibly moving forward with the Switch. We got a couple good games so far. But it could be shovelware the rest of the way. And that started a trend that I really did not like. Man, you're totally right. The Switch is correcting it now. And I see a lot of games that are starting to catch up. Like, it's getting a lot of releases. Maybe a year or two behind now. But right. it, once they get those, I think you're going to start seeing some new ones get ported. Because it's selling so well. But with the Wii, most of what you got was this, uh, like like you're saying, shovelware, motion control oriented just gimmicky games designed for family and kids and like Wii Fit yeah. and like stuff like that that I mean according to Wii Fit I'm obese so you know if, <laughs> li- if listener has seen me they know but you know I digress yeah, well, the Wii Fit can't measure muscle mass so. <laughs> no it can't doesn't or have, penis girth doesn't have no and it, you know what I just would just dump myself right on that scale and still obese oh my God. <laughs> you didn't even brought it up <laughs> That was a terrible decision. <laughs> you know I'm just going to run with dick the joke. Feet with the dick jokes. <laughs> I'll throw it at you, uh, Leland. What defined this generation for you? I'm not done with the dick oh, jokes. Okay. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a bonus episode just right, done Well, I, I was thinking about it. And the first thing that real came to my mind was basically Bethesda games. Uh, Bioshock, right? This one? That's 2K. Uh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Like... Fallout 3, Elder Scrolls 4, Oblivion, like those open world, big sandboxy things. Yeah, in the sixth generation with like Rockstar, like GTA games and stuff, they kind of like open up that genre's window. But I think Bethesda's really, I mean, they had Morrowind, Elder Scrolls 3, Morrowind back in that yeah. generation, right? Um, but it just like snowballed. And now anytime a Bethesda title comes out, it's, it's it's going to sell. It's going to be popular. People are going to rave about it. Man, Skyrim when it came out. Yeah, I went to the uh, like the night before opening for that, I believe, and that was that was crazy. Like very rarely do you see lineups like that for any game. Yeah, I bought the collector's edition of Skyrim. It came in this huge, like literally foot and a half by foot and a half cube. It came with you know, okay, the game, duh. And, like, a figure of uh, Alduin, the main dragon, yeah. Nemesis in that, and it uh, came with, like, a sexy hardcover, like, player's guide. Oh, it was beauty- beautiful. But uh, pricey, man. Like, pricey as fuck. Yeah. I remember I didn't get it because it was, like, $200. Yeah. Pricey. Yeah. But you're right. That was, that was a big thing in that generation was Fallout 3 came out, yep. Oblivion, and Skyrim. Yeah. Three huge releases for yeah. Bethesda. You think one of those in particular is definitive? Oh, I'm going to have, you know, I don't know. I've got Elder Scrolls, I guess. I th- right? I'm thinking Skyrim out of those three. Skyrim's enormous. Yeah. Yeah. And it transcends just gaming in general. Like, it became a pulp culture thing. It did. The arrow to the knee thing. Oh, my God. That was everywhere. We're still playing Skyrim. It just got re-released for uh, the yes. Switch. And that was one thing I wanted to bring up. You know what pisses me off about that? Is the advertising they're using it? They're using the exact same thing they did when Skyrim originally came out. That little promo thing of the of the guy fighting the dragon and doing his false do raw or whatever the fuck it is to blow him off the. You know, you remember that when it was first coming out? 
Have you seen anything on the new? The new? I I have. I was just trying to remember the words for uh, the shout the dragon show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it like Furado or something like that? It started with an F. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're using the exact same thing. I was like, what the fuck, you guys? Come on, do something new. Jesus Christ. I mean, it makes sense that they wouldn't, obviously. So Bethesda's pretty much come out and said like the reason they don't spam new games and they don't spam a new. Uh, sequel to uh, Elder Scrolls is that Skyrim makes them so much money and so does the uh, MMORPG version that if they release a new standalone game they can't sell Skyrim anymore and they can't really promote the MMORPG version (laughs) because everyone's going to flock to that and they make monthly payments off the MMO so they're they're not in a hurry and to be honest they need to drastically upgrade their systems and graphics yeah they need, anyways, they need to do something because fallout 4 was really pushing the boundaries of what's acceptable in a game yeah that's uh next gen uh yeah but skyrim man it's what was that 2011 yeah that's, something like that maybe 2012 2011 i think right? yeah it came out the same year as uh arkham city six years ago and it's yeah. 80 dollars brand new canadian that's insane on the switch and you know what like like you with Wii sports mobile i i say this kind of begrudgingly i mean I enjoyed those games, but I was, I'm never, I'm not a fanboy of Bethesda games. I don't know what it is. I just. I am. I really, really like Skyrim. I think Oblivion's the one I played the most, though. Oh, yeah. I love Oblivion. Okay. You know, and that's, like, we did mention Shivering Isles. That's yeah. what cemented that as one of my all time favorite games, is that expansion specifically. Oblivion. I love that expansion. It's because it was so new at the time, for me yeah. at least. Yeah. You know, Skyrim feels. A bit samey because it has the same kind of gameplay, character models, what have you. It is definitely a step up, but it's very similar. But even Fallout 3 and Fallout 4, they're really the same game with guns. I mean, they're different. Like, it has the VAT system and whatever, but it's it's still very similar. It's a Bethesda game. It feels like a Bethesda game. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you can expect with a Bethesda game, you're getting a big open world, quick travel... You're getting glitchy graphics. You're getting weird, <laughs> weird character models. You're getting some top-notch voice acting and some really terrible voice act. Like it's, it almost feels like their quality control ranges from perfect to eh, let it go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck totally. it. Depending which guy shows up at what time on us giving, giving yeah. Day, like, hey, Larry, it's your time to go <laughs> over this. You have to wonder. He's like though. a fucking alcoholic who's coming off a bender. For like, all right, check mark, check you to, mark. You have to wonder with Larry though. Like Larry's one of maybe three hundred people that work there. Yeah, and yeah, like the QC can't keep track of Larry. <laughs> there's no, there's no quality control for their employees. Obviously, <laughs> no. There's too many people, and that's. <laughs> I think that's just to, you know. Something it's that just happens. The nature of the beast. Yeah, like yeah. in any game that large. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You need so you need so much collaboration that somewhere there's going to be a weak link. Yeah, it's the, inevitable. The only game series I can think of, or maybe uh, developers that are really good with their AAA games that have like amazing QC, would be maybe um, well, The Witcher has pretty yeah. damn solid. Yeah. But another one is Rockstar. Honestly. Yeah. Like, there's very few graphical issues or, like, glitches in, a like, a next-gen GTA game, I find. Hmm. It's very you know what? I haven't yet to play Grand Theft Auto V. Oh, you haven't, you haven't yeah, touched it? Yeah, I haven't even played it. You know, if you ever upgrade your computer, yeah. that would probably be the time to play it. Because yeah. you can play, like, it looks pretty wicked and it hmm. runs well. And apparently yeah. the online's super fun. I haven't played it. Hmm. Well, my game that defines the generation, I think it would be a big one for Leland as well, is Bioshock. Yep. Yeah. And Ooh. that defines it for 
the for me the biggest reason defines it is it gave story driven action games a place. It really made it about the story and the atmosphere, yeah. and it gave developers the go ahead that like a game like this that in some ways feels like an indie title could be one of the most successful games of all time. And I remember seeing the original trailer for this game, like, oh, well, I mean, it came out in 2007, and the original trailer was, like, probably 2006, but I remember seeing yeah. it, like, before it came out, it was Ken Levine, the uh, developer, he was showing off the gameplay and how the big daddy mechanics worked and everything and how right. you could uh, hack turrets and stuff. And at the time, like, that was fucking cool. Yeah, really cool. And spiritual successor to System Shock, right? It was, yeah. So it's a spiritual successor to System Shock, which I actually have, but I haven't played. It's that's funny. That's actually my Steam profile pic photo is System Shock. <laughs> I had to pick a stock photo. You poser. I know. Uh, but yeah, Bioshock was so good, and like I wrote some stuff about it that I really loved. I mean, the twist, like the Andrew Ryan twist. Have you played Bioshock, Moby? No, and I won't. So spoil away. Okay, so the big twist of the game is that everything you're doing is like forced upon you so there's some characters throughout the game who's constantly communicating with you and trying to give you like uh help and stuff but he's actually telling you what to do because <laughs> he's mind controlling you yeah. through like oh. uh, thought like control so like whenever he says would you kindly he's actually it coerces you into doing something right. that's like a subliminal it's implant yeah so when you get to him you act he actually commands you to kill him so he's like, would you kindly take this golf club? And you you, you beat him to death. Yeah, you cave in his skull. Wow. His because club. his world is, like, collapsed around yeah, him. He's created this utopian place, and it's just it's falling gone apart. Shit, yeah. That's cool. That is, that yeah. sounds cool. And the game actually goes slightly downhill after that, and has a bit that. of a derivative uh, final, final boss. Yeah, with uh, Atlas or whatever. Yeah, and that, that's a bit disappointing, but... But man. it was cool, though, that it... it uh, you use like the little sister's gun thing to pull out his the the atom yeah from him and stuff like that. Man, the whole little sister big daddy mechanic that is so cool. Is amazing, yeah. and I mean that that it was good enough where you could make Bioshock two, and it essentially was the same thing, and it was still like okay, I'm okay with doing this one more time. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that was cool because you played as a big daddy. Yeah, you actually were went through the process of being converted into a big daddy. Wow, but, but yeah. man. Bioshock 1 for so 2007. Amazing. It's so good in the characters. And man, you want to talk about tense games? Yeah. That is not a scary game. But when you turn around and there's a splicer, which is like the bad guys behind you. And these guys, are, they're basically genetically modified people. So these people in this underwater world have slowly been like injecting themselves and getting like essentially transplants to give them abilities and yeah. to make them like special. But it, it's corrupted them and made everybody insane. It's like warp their minds. Wow. So you turn around and there's this guy behind you wearing like a half like broken rabbit mask. His face is like bloody and he's holding like a fucking axe. And then also he starts attacking you and you're in like a bathroom or something and you just turn around slowly yeah. and the guy's standing there like, holy shit. And the game had a lot of those moments. Yeah. And they weren't really scripted either, which was cool. Um, and there's a lot of really good just enemy character design. The... Uh, information you pick up that reveals more about the world is great like the whole world building is so yeah good. those the tape because you can buy like tapes and stuff recorded tapes yeah it's super cool i mean for for me this was tough because this is actually probably my favorite as well and i picked a different right. i picked a different favorite too but like i think this defined it because there's so many games that play off that third person uh, or that first person action uh shooter style now where there's like um yeah. powers developing you're in a 
like the setting and just there's so much. I don't think we'd have like a sequel to like a Deus Ex and uh, all these other things if without it. Without it, no. So well, and you know, like we said, like we mentioned when we were talking about RE7, that first person totally puts you into the atmosphere that they're trying to put put across in those games. Like that, that lens that helps so much in in portraying this claustrophobic, creepy, like look around your corner and someone stand behind you kind of thing, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I love that game. Now, listener pointed out that I say Deus Ex wrong. Is it Deus Ex? Deus Ex? I, uh, Deus, yeah. Because Deus Ex Machina? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Rewind. We wouldn't have Deus X sequels without it. <laughs> Suck it, listener. Yeah, so that's mine. Do you guys you know what, f- that is such a good 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 choice, man. Oh. Well, yeah. I was gonna ask, Leland, what's your choice? Since you only prepared for your favorite, not for the definitive. <laughs> well, like I said, the Bethesda stuff. I, I agree, I agree that Skyrim was a really big one. Did yeah. you have a favorite though, Leland? Uh of those three? Just I got a, a favorite game of the generation. Yeah, I got like four of them right down here. Sure, let's hear them. Okay, so last generation, little preamble here. Last generation, I was solely a Sony guy, PlayStation all the way. I had a PS2. I literally had like two or three hundred games for this stupid system. Then, for some reason, this generation, I switched over to Xbox. So I had the 360 predominantly for my, my was what I gamed on. We both did. And I think the biggest yeah. reason for that was Xbox Live at first. Yeah, probably. Right. Yeah. And then I did like you, Marty, uh, also have a PS3, but I, I bought the PS3 strictly for uh, PS3 exclusives. Yeah. And one of those exclusives was God of War. God of War 3. Oh, God of War 3 is good. God of War 3 is so fucking good. Oh my God. It is the best culmination of that franchise and just oh man he's like finally literally after this three game saga he's kratos has gotten to mount olympus and he's finally taking out these gods and like getting his revenge that he's always wanted against zeus and mount olympus you want to talk about a trilogy that ends well that one holy hell does it ever yeah so good uh, love that. Uh, yeah, Bioshock, way up there. Bioshock's great. Uh, Dead Space. Dead oh, Space Dead is Space. so good. The first Dead Space is amazing. It is so le- – it's legitimately freaky. I can't wait to play it now. Holy it's hell. I put booted it put the lights off. Draw the curtains. Nice. Man, that, that atmosphere I'm going to pick it up freaky. too, I think, for a PC and play it with some uh, nice surround sound headphones. Yeah. You'll piss yourself. Well, because it's literally, literally two bucks more than Dead Space 2 to get them Yeah, home. Yeah. And, and Dead Space 2 is good, too. It's like... Yeah, Dead Space 2 is solid. Dead Space 1 is fantastic yeah. and amazing. Dead Space 2 is just a step down. Yeah. Never played 3, though. Can't tell. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with 3. So, like with the Resident Evil franchise, they did the same thing. They, lent, they shied away from the horror aspect and lent more into the action. Mm. So by the time you got to Dead Space 3, it was like like 98% action as opposed to 98% horror. What I got to look up is, um, and it got very good reviews. I got to look up to see how expensive it is. But uh, Dead Space Extraction for Wii. Got yeah, you reviews. should try that. I I've heard s- that's really cool. That's I just want to make sure it's not one, a right? remake or like even a, s- a soft reboot. Like I want to make sure No, I don't think it is. I think it. I think that one is actually an on-the-rail shooter. 
Oh, they're if not that, all on the, the rails? Oh, oh, no, no. They're oh. third person. Interesting. They're third person. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that that one, which I think is why maybe one of the reasons it was, it's I've heard it's pretty highly touted and like it gives it a nice switch up, but still within the mythos of Dead Space, which is really cool. Uh, yeah, Dead Space. So Dead Space kind of controls akin to maybe a Resident Evil 4. Yeah, okay. it, you feel okay. clunky, like, and, it, and it's cool. It's good because Isaac Clark, you play basically your, your space station engineer, and you feel clunky. Like, as you're upgrading your suit, you're in this, like, space suit, basically, right? It's capable of spacewalks, and you're just clunky as fuck. You're walking around with engineering tools. You got plasma cutter serves as your pistol kind of thing. You you find, like, like mining drills and shit like like it's really fucking cool and the enemies okay. are yeah, the weapons are hideous. mostly tools they are yeah. yeah yeah the best ones anyways you do get like a blaster rifle but i mostly use like the actual like uh plasma cutter style weapons the plasma cutter is so cool and one great thing about this is i unlike a resident evil like where or any other game where the headshots is where you want to go with these necromorphs dismemberment is is your friend so you're not aiming at their head or even their body. You're trying to pick up their their scythe arm limbs to take them down. And the nice. plasma cutter actually switches from horizontal to vertical. Yeah. So you can cut the, off limbs from different angles. Oh, it's nice. It's really fucking cool. And your HUD is actually on the back of your character. So as you're walking around, your health's actually on your space. So yeah, it's like down the spine of the suit. That's your health indicator kind of thing. Oh, cool. It's, I'm really looking forward oh, to it. Oh, man. It it's is loaded so, up and good to go. It is so good. It's so good. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, and then finally, my last really favorite, Batman Arkham City. <laughs> yes, I uh, have rock, that for you. Rock steady games. <laughs> Arkham City, right? Arkham City. Yeah. Holy mother of God, do I love that game. It is amazing. It is the perfect superhero game. It's funny. It is a perfect game. I watched a honest trailer for it before coming over here. Oh, really? Arkham City, yeah, and like even the review is just, and it, it's supposed to be like satirical. Yeah, they and make they, fun and of they can barely faults. make fun of it. <laughs> That's funny. I should look that up. <laughs> like, we love this. <laughs> I love that game. I have I've said it re- repeatedly many times in this podcast. I put more hours in those challenge maps of Arkham City than I put into the entirety of Skyrim. Yeah, you did. Yeah, I don't know wow. how, but you did. Because well, those challenge maps, man, they're fun. You come with like five or six different characters, like Catwoman and Robin and Nightwing. It appeals to your sensibilities of getting addicted and and like loving a challenge. Yeah, to the point where it's almost some like of them get sadistic. really hard. Some of those combat when I mean, you need like hundreds of thousands of points in those combats, you need like a two hundred x combo streak without getting hit. That's how you get those things, right? Yeah, you're zipping around. You got to use all your gadgets to get the bigger bone. Oh man, it's so fucking <laughs> good. Not to mention. Uh, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill reprised their voice acting roles from the animated series of the 1990s, which, again, I love. Fuck. It's good. It's good. I would have liked it better with Jared Leto. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. He would have done a much better performance. (laughs) Now, yeah, I don't know. It's good. Like, I mean, I like it so much that I'm playing. I've played Arkham Knight like six different. I'm currently playing through Arkham Knight again, just nostalgically because... That's as close as I'm getting to Arkham City right now. <laughs> like, and that's, oh, yeah, like we talked about last episode, nostalgia. And I said, nostalgia can only be a bad thing for a sequel or, or a remake. Yeah. But, you know, in this case, this really boosts, boosts my opinion of Arkham Knight. It's, I mean, it still has all those great things, the combat mechanics and the voice actors that made Arkham City great. But 
the story is a little, yeah, okay, who didn't see this coming? If you're a fan of Batman, you saw it coming kind it's of thing. funny when you think about just even the gameplay of that. That gameplay has now been taken by so many games. Yeah. You think of like Shadow of Mordor and uh, any of those act- open world action games yeah. where you have to fight a ton of guys at once. Yeah. They all stole it from Arkham Asylum and Arkham City refined that. Yes. And now every game that has that kind of big, okay, you're a badass, you're fighting 20 guys at once, they all have that big free flow style of combat. Yeah, free flow. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. So, Moby. There's- yeah, my favorite, um, I don't know if you guys, if I've ever shown it to you, but my favorite is Trauma Center for the Wii. If I, if I haven't shown it to you, I'll, I'll dive in for listener's sake on what this is. So it's pretty cool. Uh, there, it's part of the, the, um, oh, sorry. This one is trauma. I, did I say trauma team or trauma center? Trauma center. Okay. It's, it's part of the trauma center series, but it's actually called trauma team. Okay. And it's a medical drama. And what you are is one of, I believe, five different doctors. And they all have different specialties, so all their missions are different. So one's just a general surgeon. He's like the other games that came before it. One guy is a um, an orthopedic surgeon. And what's cool is it's a, a Wii exclusive, so it's all motion controls. But the orthopedic guy, like you have to actually use the um, Wii as like a bone hammer. And it's very sensitive in a good way for like how much you're you're uh, hitting in pins into bones. And it's like if you swing it too much, that pin's going to go too far and you're going to get a bad score. But if you do nice little tippy taps, you'll get it in properly. <laughs> so he's cool. There's the first responder, which is really cool because she only has like five different tools, but she has to work on multiple people at once and keep switching because they're having like heart stoppages and they're bleeding out. Um, but she doesn't actually cure anyone. You've got an endoscopic surgeon. So in that one, you're very delicately pushing the Wiimote forward to go through someone's intestines and stomach and like, like up the butt. Uh, pretty close in some parts. All right. Got some tumors in there that you got to take care of. Ugh. Um, but my two favorites are number one, there's the diagnostician where you have to look over different x-rays and CAT scans and things like that. It's more fun than it sounds. You also have to question patients and they're usually pretty hesitant. They're like, I'm fine. And you're like, well, why is your left hand shaking? And it's like, oh, why are you bleeding bleeding from the eyes? (laughs) He's also the best doctor because he's got a great voice actor and he's very cynical. Um, And he's just kind of like, you know, his daughter hates him. His wife left him. All he does is smoke. And he's got like a robot partner. He's like, doctor, you should really stop smoking. He's like, screw you, Roni. Get the next set of slides up here. I just love that guy. Um, yeah, that uh, definitely plays your sensibility. It does. <laughs> and then there's the um, the forensics lady. And she's really cool because she's in another game. And now she's got a terminal disease. They don't really explain what it is. But somehow through a terminal disease, she can, once she pieces things together, she can get um, like a psychic audio snippet that you actually have to hold the Wiimote up to your ear and hear through its speakers. And there's some damn good missions in that. Really good scenarios. There's one really creepy one where eventually it's kind of like almost like um, pandemic. Like there's this big plague, but that uh, you end up having to cure together. But how the game starts, the first half of the game, you can jump through the doctors however you wish. So you, if you can basically make your own story, so you can go through them all, all their scenarios. Like you could just do the diagnostician to, from first to end. Or you can do them one by one by one and see how the story slowly pieces together. 
which is really cool. And once the pandemic breaks out, then the second half of the game, you have to do it in a certain order. Is it a pandemic or an epidemic? Uh, this one is, what would pandemic be, what's the definition? I think an epidemic is like lo- more localized, whereas a pandemic is large scale. Uh, this would be throughout North America. Okay. So I don't know if that counts as pandemic. Okay. So Just curious as well. Yeah, no, it's it's cool. And they're all just so different. Like uh, the forensic lady, you're looking at bones. You're piecing actually bones together like a puzzle. You're looking for like wounds oh, on Oh, you bodies. must have been bad at that one. Putting the bones together. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're, you're bad at puzzles. Sliding I am terrible. Sliding bones. It ta- that is the one part of the game that's frustrating for most. That sounds really cool, though. But it is. And like the scenarios are, are very different. Meaning like the individual missions within each person's track are very, very different. Like there's one where, you know, it's um, there's like an old man and he has some like mental disorder. And so he sees his wife as like this monster, kind of like a cross between Bigfoot and like a bird. And so he kills her and you find Whoa. out why he killed her is because he has this mental disorder. Oh, that's cool. It's cool. The scary one is the second one for the forensic lady. She finds these bones by a river. A homeless guy finds them. And as you piece out the story, you find out like this girl was one of the first people to get the epidemic thing, the, the disease. But her parents didn't bring her to the hospital. They locked her in her room. So you like spray the room with luminol and all of a sudden there's like scary music and the room goes dark and you see that she was bloodily crawling at like Uh. the walls and and she – you see that she was like digging at the door trying to get her way out. And then of course when the psychic lady hears her, she hears her like psychically going like, mom, dad, you know, like I'm dying and they just – they just leave her there. And then they throw her body on the road. She gets hit by a truck and knocked into a river. So it's like deep shit. Whoa. It's pretty deep. <laughs> That's like Leland laugh level stuff. It is. It it disturbed <laughs> me. It scared me though. And uh, that sounds really cool. How gross it that's is. Su- yeah. That's super interesting. Like that whole series of games. Like, right. What, what was when we played Trauma Center, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Those games really make amazing use of the Weibo capabilities. That is one shining example of how to play to that system's you know, stick. Right. Right. For lack of a better term. Uh, yeah. Real. That sounds really cool. It, using it to create depth of gameplay. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But unfortunately. Complexity, replayability. Exactly. Yeah, sounds really yeah, cool. Yeah. Multiple difficulty levels, Leland, so you could start on hard right from the there beginning. There you go. Start on hard. And- but um, unfortunately, with that generation, you know, they just – shovelware with very rare exceptions like like yeah. trauma team yeah so i wish they made another one i i hope they will announce one for switch or something like that but i don't know that's that's my favorite all right well i'll throw down my favorite real quick my favorite is the last of us and i know leland doesn't like it that much and he feels like it's overrated but <laughs> it, it's it's overrated by some people because some people fucking blow their fucking gasket over it really I think so. Everyone, it's it's a well-renowned game. It's like you love it or you hate it kind of thing. I just feel like yeah, a lot of people jerk off about it, and then you get right. and then you get people who are like, "Well, is it really that good?" Right, because yeah. people are jerking off. Exactly. About yeah, yeah. However, been there, done that. <laughs> but 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 I will say it is probably other than Bioshock, it's probably my favorite of that generation. It's almost cheating because of 
how story driven it actually is? Yes, I love the story. Okay. Um, the gameplay is very similar to Uncharted, but more refined. It feels a lot weightier because it's it's a lot more violent, and that's what the game was. The game's violent, brutal, but also like beautiful, and has a really touching, poignant story. Spoilers: the ending is phenomenal. I mean, when you go into the end, and there's a, these doctors um, operating on your surrogate daughter. And you don't have an option to save her, which basically condemns humanity. But you do have an option to murder all the doctors. Every time I walk into that room when I play a game, I kill every doctor. And I don't care. Because they're operating on my surrogate daughter and they must die. <laughs> and they're doing it for good reasons, but, you know. Yeah, they're doing it for the greater good. Yeah. Well, guess what? I just killed 150 people getting to you. And I'm not, I'm yeah, not, I'm not, I'm not afraid to kill five more. Bat an eye, right? I'm not going to bat an eye. But, like, the, the voice acting in that's great. Uh, who is the voice actor for that? That's, uh... I don't know. Troy Baker, right? Oh. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's Troy, Troy Baker. Baker's a yeah. great voice actor. Yeah. yeah. You know, everyone's gay for Troy Baker. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, and basically, uh, there's Ellie who looks like Ellen Page, but isn't. So, it's confu- <laughs> it's confusing. wasn't it like supposed to be at one point? Or I don't something? know. Because at the time of release, there were two Ellen Page games coming out. There's one. There? There's one actually with Ellen Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the one that kind of looks like Ellen Page, and his name, her name's Ellie, but it's not. It's it, people were a little bit confused. It's good. The sequel's coming out soon, maybe next year. Um, I recommend the trailer for this, the sequel, Leland. There's a second trailer that's just like a oh, really? scene from the story, I guess, later on. It's super violent. Has like a chick getting her arm broken with a hammer. It's, like there's cults and stuff in that's it. Cool. Like it's it's kind of, I think it's moving away from the cities and moving right. into like the wilderness. Okay. It looks pretty freaking scary too. Like yeah. So uh, that game was great. Gameplay is great. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we've already talked about a lot of other favorites. But this one was kind of yeah. on the the border it came out in 2013 so it's actually at the start of the next generation but it came out for ps3 not ps4 right, yeah because you could get ps4 that came with it we're kind of bundled with digital copies of last of us yeah because what happened was i think mine actually came out. that generation started with um the wii u the eighth generation Oh. So, while well, the wii u came out the ps3 and xbox 360 were still their mainstay consoles and they hadn't had the next-gen releases yet, so we were still getting games coming out. Like, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five is right on the tail end as well. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so that was my, my favorite. Um, I, it's a good choice. It's, it's a solid It's good, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But now that you have all these other ones, too, I mean, there's so many good ones. Well, I mean, man, now that you bring up Troy Baker, um, back to Bioshock. Bioshock Infinite was great! I, oh, yeah. I loved Bioshock Infinite. I, I was meant to bring it up when you are talking about yeah. it. I mean, that story, too. That was I, I really liked it, man. I played that like four different times across, you know, of course, on the, well, up to the hardest difficulties. So good. I just listen to the music sometimes because it's so good. Yeah. Ah, that's a really great one, too. That is a solid franchise, man. Yeah. I'll pick that up on Steam, too. Ah. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to touch on a few things this generation that were trends and failures. When I think of it, I think of this generation having gimmicks. I think of motion control. I think of touch screens on the Nintendo DS. I think of the uh, Kinect. I think of <laughs> yeah. a big one. There's plastic peripherals that were added onto consoles. And the biggest one, I think, was the music genre. That that was started for uh, PS2 in that yeah. era. Yeah. But 
it became huge with uh, the 360 rock and Rock yeah. Band, and you could buy a drum set, you could buy a keyboard, you could buy add-on uh, like um, snares and extra kick pads, and it was just yeah, crazy. Insane. I mean, you could have a closet full of these things. Yeah, and we did. Yeah, <laughs> and they were fun as hell, though. Man, lick and gag. Oh man, rock that oh, was so lick fun. And gag. You know, that was so fun. We hawk, had some hawk. real good times. We had some good times playing that game. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had the motion controls written down as the main fad. And, you know, I think at the time it was very original. It felt like you're bringing a major arcade game, like the kind of arcade game where you actually have to step on a pad and grab a peripheral that you were bringing that home. But, I mean, a couple of things happened. First of all, it was super damn expensive. I think oh. my Rock Band 2 Wii, which was the kit, which came with the whole band setup, that was 300 plus bucks. It was like more than the system. Yeah, and I found, like, depending on, like, the television you had or, like, the setup, like, some of the response times on those instruments were so bad, too. Yeah. And it, it really pulled you out of the game. Yeah, and I think, actually, peripherals started to go downhill through the generation. I mean, I remember it came to the point where, like, a peripheral, you'd have, like, a stupid fishing rod thing that, like, actually had no function, but it slipped over a Wiimote and made it look like a fishing <laughs> rod. Yeah. Or... I had this game. I bought it because it was cheap at Zeller's. It was like a turkey shooting Wii game, like yeah. some shovelware, but it had a plastic thing to put in like the nunchuck in the back and slip in the Wiimote in the front to this orange plastic yeah, thing. Yeah. And that was the last peripheral I ever bought. I was like, this is just getting stupid. Yeah. Well, so. we, we in particular was bad for that shit, right? Yeah. yeah. What really pisses me out of those, like when the PS3, their six axis bullshit they tried to yeah. push right at launch. Motion controls. That was so stupid. I, I hate forced motion controls in so games. So dumb. You gotta be able to turn them off. There's one thing, if there's one thing I dislike about the new Mario game, Odyssey, is that the game controls best if you're playing it with separate uh, left and right, like, uh, what are they called? Joy, jo joy, joy cons. cons. Yeah. You're playing with them separated so you can move them easier for motion controls. I don't want to play that way ever. I hate it. I want to play with a fucking controller. Yeah. So, and I don't want to shake it and vibrate it. Like to make your hat spin around your head, you have to actually shake the controller. Oh my god! So if, if you're that's watching annoying. and if you're you're holding the full handheld console, you're shaking the whole console. Oh, that seems stupid. And uh, I didn't like that. Uh, you don't have to do it. Okay. But it, okay. But the it like, encourages you to do the, so. The alt it does, and even says like the best way to play this game is this way. And so I, not in handheld form. No. Which is the point of the Switch. I know, right? What the fuck? So weird. And uh, I don't get that at all. So, th uh. that's something I've always hated if you can't turn it off. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, to me... Fine, put it in, but man, give me the option. Like, yeah. I gotta get rid of like, that shit. That's like telling me, like, you have to go see this movie in D-Box. It's like, well, no. Yeah. I want to see it in fuck 2D. You. I don't want to see it in D-Box. Otherwise, Leland won't go with me. Yeah. <laughs> It's just awkward, and and that's that was <laughs> such a big issue with this that generation because they all started copying each other too. Yeah, they did. Oh well, yeah, that's the thing. They see, oh god, this shit's getting hype, and yeah. now we got to jump on the bandwagon. Oh, we got PlayStation Move now. We got the PlayStation Move. Oh shit! I totally forgot about that. You know the uh, the new X like the Xbox One just basically just discontinued the Connect now because no one liked it. Good. And I agree, it's stupid. Yeah. Like, Plus, it's watching you. Yeah. You know, it's bad enough. I mean, I got if you get like Google Home or something, I mean, that's listening to you. Yeah. You know, I don't need you to watch me too. <laughs> in summary, it's a fad rest in peace motion Absolutely. for the foreseeable Absolutely. future. Yes, but I think it's evolved. I think that's what's kind of evolved into virtual reality. And although I don't think virtual reality is anywhere near being mainstream or cost effective, 
other, like the PSVR is still 400 bucks. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, but it looks huge too. You're literally putting on like a football helmet on your face. So I've got a buddy who, once I get a PC, wants to go to Best Buy, pick up the uh, the Steam version, or is it like the HTC Vive or something? Okay. Because they have a pretty good return policy. Come over, try it out on the new PC, buy some cool Steam games in VR, yeah. and like that you're, you're gonna you're, you're gonna burn that money, but at least you get to try the VR and then return the headset. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So I might have an update down the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I would super, definitely be interested in trying VR. Like, it sounds pretty cool. Like, there's yeah. some, there's some pretty cool. I'd love cool to games try Resident Evil Seven in VR. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be nutty. There's um this this VR game. I'm gonna tangent here, like we do best. Um, I heard uh, Secret Ball Cabal Gaming podcast. Uh, I think Chris Miller was talking about it. I don't know what it's called, but like, so one, one guy's got like the VR headset, putting them in the world. They're like a bomb disposal technician and everyone else playing outside of the VR has like the manuals to the bomb. So the guy in the VR has to relay what he's saying, what he's seeing. Oh, and then the rest of the people cool. are feeding them instructions of how to properly diffuse it kind of thing. That's really neat. Sounds really cool. Like, so like they're coming out with some cool shit, but yeah, like you said, cost effective versus enjoyment. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You go, well, I spent $700 to play this game once. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, totally. Not to mention, you drop those money, but you need the machine to run it. Yeah. And you need the space to play it in. That's the other thing, too. Yeah, like... It it needs space. It needs the... uh, If you're going to run it on PC, you need a jacked-up PC. Right. With, like, one of the best video cards. Yeah. Um, And if you're going to play it on uh, your PlayStation, you probably want a PS4 Pro. Right. You know, to really enjoy it. So, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's, uh, it's, it's a, an investment. It is an investment. It's an investment. And, I mean, I guess the wealthy can enjoy it right now. But it's like any technology, you know, look at drones. You can buy cheap drones now. Yeah, you can get like a $40 drone and exactly. be pretty happy with yeah, it. It won't take long before these prices go down. That's true. Um, one last thing on this generation I want to cover was handhelds. I'm not going to jump into them but too much because it's just we're running a bit long here. But maybe in another time we'll talk about uh, Nintendo's big kind of rise here and it was this generation was big with uh, the nintendo ds and uh the playstation portable was a pretty much a failure yeah it totally was you know the it like the, died on the vine the ds though was you know that was the touch screen that was a big you know that was before phones were giving us touch screens wow you know um that was big and i mean this generation gave us that it gave us mobile gaming you know um iphones came out yeah and we got those things and, and that really you know without candy crush where would we be we'd be nowhere no so maybe another time we'll we'll tackle. Uh, yeah, that's a good. Handhelds. That's gonna be a whole segment of on its own, really. Yeah, that's, that's so. solid. That's solid. All right, so I'm I'm good. Cool, me too. All right, well, I guess that means it's time for movie musings. Would you like to play a game? We here at the T Hud podcast, uh, we get into the festive spirit. Uh, we're all about uh, men in red suits uh, because the suits are stained with blood. We're about uh, Santa slashers and uh, Santa slays. And slaying. That was the third S. So, yeah, we thought it would be fun because we love horror movies, especially gory ones that we can laugh at, that that would be very holiday-like for us to oh, yeah. bring up around this release date. So what we're going to do is dive into our favorite horror flicks and uh, discuss uh, our favorite single flicks and also franchises. 
So let's start with favorite horror franchise, and I'll throw that to you, Marty. Oh, me first. Okay. Um, I actually picked Evil Dead. And I picked, Ooh, that's a good one. I picked Damn Evil dude. Dead because you get the range of the original, like, independent, low-budget, uh, thrilling horror movie that's really doesn't stand up all that well at all. But it's hilarious when you think about where this franchise has evolved to, and it started out like so far away from what it became and yet all the films are great like you can watch the first one and it's enjoyable for what it is but the second one is still scary but it brings in this comedic tone too that's just fantastic yeah they start to lean into the campy yeah and got the budget behind this one yeah and by the third one you're full camp oh full full (laughs) Full on campy right up into the remake which is good surprisingly oh the remake was really good And and it's actually really gross and it actually has a ton of callbacks. I mean, the whole yeah. chains, like the chainsaw at the end. Oh my god! That's so the best like thing. it's like raining, literally raining, raining blood. blood. <laughs> uh, I just love that franchise. I also really like the TV series. Yeah, you, know, so you would think surprisingly. Like I don't think this series has really failed for anywhere. Well, we haven't seen season two yet, yeah, uh, no. listener. In the future, in the new year, we'll you, be doing that. We'll see a bonus on as we binge watch that. But certainly, yeah, season one was fantastic. It was. I mean, welcome to the fan club. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Yeah, so like that—that that was mine, and and it gave us, it gave the world Sam Raimi, and it gave us Bruce Campbell because yeah. Sam Raimi directed those films. He, he it led to him making Spider Man, yep. and it gave us uh, also another really good horror movie, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, I was just gonna say that was a great movie. It's basically just like it's a just the Evil Dead ish in tone. He just does the body horror so well. Yeah, like it's just ugh, gross, gross shit. Yeah, have you seen Drag Me to Hell, Mommy? I have not. Really? I have not. It's worth a watch. Yeah, definitely recommend. I'd watch it with you. It's good. Okay, I will do. Leland, let's see if we cross streams here and pick the same one or not. Ghostbusters. Okay, that comment pretty easily cements what you're going to pick. But no, I'm going to go. I got two. Two main things that I grew up loving and continue to love. They're... They're well well known and you know they're pretty well staples of the horror horror genre. Friday the Thirteenth franchise and Nightmare on Elm Street. I knew it. Those two, man, put them together, you get Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, so good. Love it. Love it. I love those two franchises. Just okay. Friday the Thirteenth. It's like you know one one of the one of the ancestors of, of slasher, right? Up there with with the Halloween, the Michael Myers, and and Le- like Chainsaw Massacre, Le- Leatherface, and all that stuff. But Jason Voorhees, I mean, he's just like, it's just, it gets so ridiculous. And honestly, none of these movies are worth watching. Like, like, <laughs> like, legitimately, they're all bad. <laughs> well, the Friday the 13th covers every horror trope that you That's could right. hope to imagine. It does. It totally it, does. Because we always talk about how they always end up in space. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jason X you know, in space. Sta- that one's That's straight up. That's where it goes. That one doesn't shy from it. No. No. That's like its biggest budget one was in space. Yeah. Oh yeah, it totally was. And um and then you got Freddy Krueger. Who does not like Freddy Krueger? He he didn't start the children out- he kills. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or, or and or molests depending on what depiction you're viewing of him. But he just the first Nightmare on Elm Street, he he was he they started they tried to make him this like classically scary you know, boogeyman kind of thing. And then they lean more. And then like Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was 
kind of a weird, it was almost a bit of a departure compared to the rest of the franchise, where it centered on one, it centered on a male protagonist as opposed to the normal female protagonist. Right. And yeah, it was a little, it was a little weird, but then from then on, like three, which is, I think is my, one of my favorites for sure. Um, yeah, they just went like Evil Dead, like full campy. Like, Doesn't he like burst from some guys like genitals or something? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe that was just a dream I had. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> but I don't know. There's so many gruesome kills in all those movies. That's another thing why I, I like these movies. Like, like Freddy just, he's very creative. <laughs> like my favorite one from Night- Nightmare on Elm Street 3, I think it's Dream Warriors or whatever the subtitle is. Uh, he like, it, it takes place in like this, um, like it's like a youth home, I think, but they're all like troubled youths. And this one, one, kid he kills him in his sleep the kid really loves making like pap- paper mache puppets so what freddie does is uh he uses he like tears the tendons from his arms and down his legs and uses them as marionette strings and walks this kid up to the top of this tower and it's just like at the very top he's like teetering on the edge and you see freddie just kind of like this giant like embodied disembodied kind of like god figure in the skies right manipulating these strings he just with his little glove hand just goes snip and then just the guy plummets off the tower like Uh that's just it's just fun i just love it i don't know and honorable mention i'll I'll give out to the leprechaun series oh yeah and critters both of which ended in space (laughs) well leprechaun also went to the hood yeah twice (laughs) what they went to the hood and then they went back to the hood (laughs) <laughs> oh man ridiculous uh, <laughs> leprechaun five and six <laughs> it's just oh man see i think listener is seeing a pattern here in that for the horror movies we really love in the franchises there's usually comedy there or you can find comedy yeah you know what we're not we're not fans of horror we're fans of comedy that's <laughs> like true. these movies comedy. aren't scary no and along that lines my favorite as leland knows is the final destination series oh okay i just love final destination i i love how creative the writers are i just imagine them around like drinking at a round table like how are we going to kill these people in the most hilarious (laughs) unexpected ways especially the opening to all those films it's yeah, like, like yeah. what tragedy can we have? Well, you get you get such a climax right away from those movies, yeah. and then you're 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 kind of riding this nice gentle slope until you're like, oh shit, he's gone. Oh, they're gone. She's dead. Oh my goodness, look at this horse running through a carnival, tripping up a fireworks stand, and he's <laughs> yeah. kind of getting blown to pieces or whatever. <laughs> I think Leland, your one of your favorites is the guy who gets stuck in the drive-thru and he can't back up or go oh, forward. Yeah. And then the, the truck comes gym. down yeah. the hill. Some guy's like outside running after his own, like, I don't know, five Runaway, ton like five-ton truck. truck, yeah. And then the truck hits a car behind. Rear ends. Rear ends. The engine, the engine somehow the flies out. Engine the whole engine comes out of the front with of the truck. fan and chops this guy's <laughs> head from behind. Like, <laughs> oh, and it's man. just oh, it's hilarious. And then Tony Todd is like somehow in all of them. Yeah, yeah. either he's in it or he's like a voice at the uh, like at, narrator or like the narrator. He plays like a devil's at a carnival. He's like the. Well, and I think a lot of them are filmed in Vancouver, and it's interesting because the corkscrew at the PNE yeah. is the ride that crashes in Final oh. Destination Three. Ah, cool! And uh, I went there last year, and I was actually sick. I didn't go on it. I'd been on it before, 
But I I looked at it and I was like, oh man, where's Tony Todd's voice as you enter? Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, is this thing going to hold together? Man, you might have cheated death by being sick and not going on it. Maybe you were meant to go on it. Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Uh-oh. One of my friends certainly begged me to go on it. Did so. anyone else die that day? Oh, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> not on that ride. So Excellent point. But, uh, yeah, that's mine. I don't really have an honorable mention because I was going to bring up one and uh, it's only two movies. So I like the Silent Hill movies. I'll just say oh, that. Oh, you like the second one? I do like the second one. The second one. one is so bad. It's not even funny to talk really? about. Really? I thought the second one was okay. It was okay. It's okay. Are you kidding me? I oh, was, I, you know, I, I like the second I, one. I was offended sitting in theater having to watch it. Really? And, okay. like, there's so much bad with it. And it's, it's not even, like, so bad it's good. It's like it, you've got uh, John Snow in it, and every every <laughs> scene every him. scene is fucking buttons on his jacket are on a different level. They, didn't, they have no <laughs> continuity whatsoever. And I'm sitting there; it's just the three of us in the theater. I've never been in a theater where I was like, "Man, I just I hate my life right now." Well, would it wow. make any difference if I told you most of that stuff is actually accurate to Silent Hill Three, the game? Which That's is based what off. I enjoyed most. It, about it that is quite accurate to Silent yeah. Hill Three, which is. Probably my second the favorite. buttons on his jacket? Yeah, that guy has buttons, and they're always at a crazy different level. Really? In the game. Okay, yeah. that actually affects my, my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, same. There's kind of like the ripped out of L, like, a film noir. There's kind of like a cop who wears a brown trench coat and stuff. His name's Douglas. He's in Silent Hill hmm. 3. Okay. He's done well. All right, give it a There's thumbs a up done now. Well there. <laughs> done. Love it. And, yeah. and I loved, oh man, that monster made out of the mannequins. Mannequin that thing, was yeah, so that was cool. well done randomly. Like just the animation and the quality. It's a big math for me, to be honest. Anyways, I think it's free on Netflix. So if Thank you're in the God. mood, just, yeah, I didn't buy it. I thought for sure you were going to at least honorable mention Basket Case. <laughs> yeah, they were good for once through, but Basket totally. Case got fucking weird by number two yeah, and really three. really did, yeah. Oh, that's the one with the baby, right? It's like it's worse than that. Okay, yeah. well, so basket case is, is a, these conjoined twins. One of them is horribly, terribly deformed, and as a child, they get separated um, by their parents or whatever. And the one guy who is normal carries around his brother in a basket because literally he's like basketball size with arms and a big ass mouth. Like that's it. Yeah. Um, hence basket case. Okay. And they have like they like telepathy, you know, they got this twin telepathy thing going on and Basket Case loves to murder people or something <laughs> yeah, like that. It's weird. It's not or something. He literally just enjoys yeah. murdering people. But I think in the first one it was a story of revenge. Yes. Yes. And then you get to number two and they find this house of other weird, like deformed freaky people like Lorenzo. Lorenzo. <laughs> That's the best thing. He's literally just a big mouth. And he like, just sings la. He just, yeah, he's like an operatic singer. Uh, and it's weird because they spend so much money on these elaborate, like, practical effect creatures. Yeah. And some of them are only in for, like, five seconds in the movie. Yeah, they don't really have much screen time or do anything, really. No. And it was, it's, it's a weird it's franchise. Weird. Yeah. It's weird. But I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention it. No, no. And thank you for doing that. Reboots, remakes, retreading old ground. These are common within the horror genre. Why are horror films so often just disposable pieces of entertainment? I love how you just go and read like our our notes for what we're supposed to kind of bring up and you you literally read it verbatim. 
Well, yeah. I come. I'm from, gonna teleprompt that I stuff. Ca- I come from marketing, <laughs> and so yeah, I write it like an ad. Cocks, pussies, and what? What am I saying? I will tell you why. Because generally, horror movies are generic. What movie genre has as many tropes as the horror yeah. genre have? Uh, yeah. Romantic comedies have a lot. Okay, that's a that's actually a good point. And they're also generic. You're right. They totally are. So. There we go. Point proven. Thank you. Point done. One, Leland. Boom. But that's that. Honestly, that's what it comes down to. I mean, you got like, you know, the 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 abandoned place. Something bad's gonna happen there. You got uh, you know some, the you know a, a small you know the classic like the teenager thing, right? The teenage the group of teenagers or whatever, right? You know, like just so many different tropes that just get played and played and played and. It's almost to the point, I think, that you can't have a horror movie that doesn't have at least some of these tropes. Otherwise, it doesn't fall into the horror genre anymore. Sure. No, but then you get a, well, uh, sorry, not no. Yes, I agree. Um, but then you get a film like Cabin in the Woods, which just takes all those tropes and makes a yeah, it plays um, on a, them, kind of like a emphasizes a mockery them. of them. Yeah, and it's really funny. Satire. Satire. Yeah, yes. it's a satirical. Satirical depiction of all these tropes, which has worked so good. That's a great movie. Yeah, Chris Evans that. on the motorcycle. Chris Hemsworth, not Evans. It was it's Hemsworth. Thor. It's Thor. Oh, it was not, Hemsworth. Not, My bad. Hemsworth. I think that's that. That is like just the horror genre in general, though. It's like critics always think horror films are low art. Like they're not. They're yeah. not up there with the films that um, get awards. You know. I mean, you can think of a few horror films that are maybe like considered like classics, like The Exorcist. But that's few and far between. Yeah. I would go so far as to argue that a lot of the horror films, like in the, the Jason series, the Freddy series, and lots of the one-offs were meant to be disposable. They were meant for a quick buck. They were low-budget films. Nobody expected them to be, you know, enshrined in everybody's DVD or Blu-ray collection or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good that point. I mean, like, the whole inception of the the idea of B movies. Right? right. Like those those so many horror movies fall into that as there there's so many B movie horror movies. But like I wonder if that was intended at first though. If it was if it was like we're gonna make a B movie or if it was just that Yeah these you know, are B movies. That so that comes from uh base I think that came from like around the thirties or forties or whatever. Right around when the first talkies were coming out, shortly after, it's like um, th- it was basically really determined on uh, star power. I think is where that comes from. If I'm remembering that, that podcast I was listening to correctly. And so yeah, it's a podcast called "You Must Remember This." Actually, it's really cool. It goes throughout like the the 20th century worth of Hollywood trivia and and facts, and hones in on specific actors or directors and kind of stuff. It's a pretty cool podcast actually. So I would check out. You must remember this. It's <laughs> okay, on cool. tangent. It's it's actually really. Leland will put it in the show notes. Oh yeah, show notes. You know, the only other thing I would say or add to this, from my point of view, is that traditionally to create a sense of danger in horror movies, you have to knock off a lot of characters. You have yeah. to kill the jock, kill the loudmouth, or whatever right. to establish this is a dangerous thing. And honestly, that dangerous thing usually has to be supernatural and very tough to kill or get rid of. Because if it wasn't, you it could just stab it with a kitchen exactly. knife once it and it would go away. So it almost – horror by itself almost pigeonholes itself into that funnel, except in very rare cases where you can be quite creative. 
Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, that the very, you know, the parameters of, of a horror film, it just, the characters in those movies are disposable mm-hmm. by definition of the horror genre, right? Yeah. Now, now here's something I want to throw out there and I, you guys can come at me for this, but uh, one of my favorite horror films, and you guys might say, Moby, that's not a horror film, is One Hour Photo with Robin Williams that I brought up That's before. a thriller. Isn't I it? would say that is a psychological thriller. And, and that's my question to you is, is there a big divide between horror yeah. and psychological thriller? Honestly, yeah. I don't think there is that big of a divide. It scares There's, me. The, the line is so... His performance scares me. When at the end, when he's like trying to pose them like naked and, and yeah. taking pictures, like, don't touch! It's pretend. It's all pretend. My heart beats, and I I get scared of Rob. I feel like it's a blurred line. Like you can sometimes tell what, what something is, but sometimes it's it's really hard to tell. Yeah, well, I think because they they both of those genres try evoke very very similar emotions in their viewers too, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that is where those lines get blurred. Right, like you say, you, you get you get the same feeling out of watching one hour photo as you might get out of watching Oculus or something. Yeah, which They're, I've seen. Oculus right. is a great movie. Yeah. Very good. Oculus movie. is good. They just they are very close. That's a great point. It's so hard to really establish. Them. Well, in my recommendation that I'll make within like the next few minutes here, once we move on to that, is a film that I think really gets into those blurred lines. Um, whereas you know, I thought it was marketed to me or people as a horror film, and it turns out it's kind of like honestly, it's right on that line. Interesting. Um, well, you know, it's not even just uh, straight psychological thrillers but i think a movie like event horizon oh yes is like a sci-fi horror or is it a sci-fi thriller like i think there is legit sci-fi horror and i think event horizon is almost like the emblem carrier yeah yeah. that's a really good movie it's It's very much a pure horror yeah yeah great performance by sam neill oh yeah what lawrence fishburne lawrence fishburne yeah it's a good movie very good movie if you like that you're gonna love dead space Totally. I oh, okay. Yes. Sweet. Yeah. Very similar. similar <laughs> I can't wait to play. I can't wait to play. Welcome to the Dead Space Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, anything you guys want to add to that, or do you want to move on to our recommendations? I'm good to move on. Yeah, I think Leland, you start us off. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, I I have three. How many do you guys got? Uh, two. How many you got, Marty? One. Okay. Well, why don't we just kind of go around the table here, so I'm not ranting on about three different things for so long. Like okay. usual. Okay, my first first one of three is a movie called Honeymoon. I think it was a 2015 movie. Uh, it actually stars Rose Leslie, who plays Egret in Game of Thrones. Okay. And so it's this couple that they go away on this honeymoon to like kind of this remote-ish town, out in this cabin kind of out in the woods. And one night, the husband kind of wakes up and his wife's gone. And he finds her completely naked, just standing out in the middle of the of the woods, and br- brings her back home. And she kind of kind of brushes off as if she, oh, I must have been sleepwalking, kind of thing, or something. And from from that night on, her her demeanor kind of changes towards him. She gets more distance, kind of a little a little strange, maybe a little violent, kind of thing. And it's it's kind of really just about like it's a bit of a mystery. It's like what the hell is going on, kind of thing. Uh, so I won't spoil anything, obviously, but. It was. It, I liked it. It was really entertaining. And again, it's kind of one of those like thriller horror kind of things. Yeah. So that's one of my. That's one one recommendation. It's pretty funny that you said I won't spoil anything. Obviously, yet we spoil everything else. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Right. 
Well, I don't want to spoil any of these recommendations. That's true, because, I mean, especially in a horror film or a thriller, like, spoil something that could ruin the whole twist. That's uh, entirely accurate. I hope you've played Bioshock, listener. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> Big spoiler warnings for 45 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> my, my recommendation is It Follows. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Um, this one's basically about a killer STD. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, literally... Follow a supernatural killer STD that follows you around and make sure that you have to pass it on. It's uh, it's a pretty cool film. Yeah, that's it. a really good one. It's. I was gonna say, does that one straddle like comedy horror? Is that one a pure horror? I'd say it's more horror. I would oh, certainly really? say okay. it's more. It's more horror. Yeah, it actually pl- uses it, like you know like this sexually transmitted monster. Basically, it really it it does a good job of portraying it and not. Like, like you, like you say, like making it as if it's something to laugh at. Like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, when you yeah. see this, because this this month, this apparition thing, only the person who has the transmitted disease sees it, and it's just like this unstoppable force. It just it, you see it, you see it, and it's coming at you. It takes all different types of shapes and forms, as if it's like a person. Sometimes it's completely naked. It's like standing on the roof of a house as you're driving by, and you're like, oh, God. And it just wa- it just goes. It just walks for you. And you then, can run. Yeah, it'll you, find you. You can pass it on. Yes. And then it's following the next person. Right. So you have to hope, like, you pass it on, they, they keep passing it on, And but if they kill the person who has it, like, that you the, pass it on right. to, yeah. and it makes its way back to you, it'll be after you again. Right. So, you, so you're never truly really safe. That's exactly. very scary, because nobody I know in particular, but it might stick with them for a while, that disease. Well, and so, and so that's another part of it, too, right? It's like the the protagonist is is uh, this woman who, you know, a young – I think they're younger, right? They're in, What are they, supposed to be high schoolers, I think? I thought they were, like, college age. Yeah, okay, maybe. But they're youngish. They're, yeah. like, 18, 19, maybe. Devote Catholic. And it's, like <laughs> – <laughs> but it's, like, some of her first experimentations with sex, too, right? So it kind of plays in that whole thing. And it's, like uh, – yeah, no, great pick. Great pick. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on it about some it. It's, it's a funny social commentary. Yeah, totally. Okay, my, my first pick and my main pick is a 1990 movie called Jacob's Ladder, which I think I might have mentioned once before very briefly. Oh, I'm sure. Podcast. Anytime we've spoken about Silent Hill, I think we... Yes, yeah. and Jacob's Ladder did inspire, according to Silent Hill's creator, 70% of the game. It, That's it huge. really feels like a prequel to the game. It's an excellent movie. It's basically about Tim Robbins. He's a guy who gets injured in Vietnam. I will not spoil anything. He gets injured in Vietnam, comes home. He starts to see these really scary things, like these demonic images. Um, he starts to feel sick. Like at one point, he feels like he's burning up, and he's in it. There, like his neighbors and his girlfriend are putting him in a bathtub with all this ice, and he still feels like he's burning up. And uh, so all these weird things are happening to him. And meanwhile, like guy who is one of his former platoon buddies talks about how the government experimented on his platoon with a drug called ladder that was supposed to make them so aggressive, but it made them too aggressive so that this attack they thought the Viet Cong was doing was really their own guys in this company attacking each other, going crazy and butchering each other. So there's more to it than that. There is a supernatural kind of element to it. It's highly recommended for anyone who is a horror or psychological thriller fan. Yeah, I so that, is that the one you were fantastic. talking about that straddles that line? That is the one that yeah, straddles totally, that line. Totally, totally. Because the imagery that this guy sees is 
horror imagery. Horrific, horrific, yeah. But the overall story and the fact that it has to do with this drug is more like a psychological thriller. Interesting. Yeah. Sounds really cool. Yeah. Okay, my second of three is a 2016 French-Belgian film called Raw. This film is interesting. It's kind of, it's like almost like a coming of age story in its own right kind of thing. But so it's about, um, this woman who's, uh, just entered veterinary school. It is subtitled. It's French Belgium. And so she, she's attending it's first, her first year of veterinary school. And like her older sister is at this school too, right? Like I guess this r- veterinarianism runs in the family or something. But this woman, she's, she's a vegetarian, been vegetarian all her life. But part of the hazing or the initiation of this is, like, they take this class photo of the, the new class, right? And then immediately everyone gets a buckets of blood dumped on them. And then they get kind of marched <laughs> up this hill where they have to fish out these, like, rabbit kidneys from this, like, and then, like, eat a rabbit kidney. So, of course, she's a vegetarian. So, she's like, no, no, I can't do this. No, no, no. And then she's like, sure, older sister is, like, a class above or whatever. She's like, come on, sissy, please tell them. She's like... Just eat it. Come on, man up kind of thing. You're embarrassing me. You know, she, so she, she kind of pressures her into her. So she downs this kidney and it kind of awakens this, this hunger in her and a hunger that's not quite satiated <laughs> by regular meats kind of thing. Yeah. It's, oh, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Had some nice gory parts, but, but again, it's like this, this, this woman's struggle of kind of coming to terms with like this, this thing, this like desire that was, buried deep inside of her kind of thing so that's that's a really good one uh i'll throw one more out there uh it's it's a horror film but it's it's also kind of a coming of age story and it just kind of came to me it's called uh let the right one in and it's a a uh, there is the original one the swedish film it's basically got a remake that's almost beat for beat the same it totally but i feel like the original is a little bit better Uh, yeah i really like the casting on the uh, main vampire girl um, she's actually kind of terrifying. Yeah, she's creepy. They, as hell. they dubbed over her voice, so it sounded older too. Mm, and yeah. uh, it it really sounds like a creature that is like eternal. And it's mm-hmm. basically about a young boy who is you know bullied and uh, doesn't really fit in. And he, he doesn't meet, have any friends. He, he meets a girl, and they become friends. And she's actually like a three hundred year old vampire who's stuck in a girl's body. And there's a lot of little plot twists and things that are revealed, but. There's, a, there's, uh, I don't, I won't get into all of them, but it's pretty cool. It's got a, a lot of cool uh, graphic parts, but again, it's not about the violence. It's about the story and the characters. That's exactly right. Sweet. It's about the influence that this, this immortal being has on this, this kid, like, and this growing up, going through puberty, yeah. like, like, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, I also really, I mean, it's super creepy, but like, she's got a thrall, like a, a keeper, like a full grown man who's like a pedophile, who's like associated with her because she's a vampire but she's also a little girl yeah so he, he basically feeds her blood and like acquires blood for her yeah and it's really twisted and uh, i won't get into the spoilers there really but it, it's a cool uh cool little plot line yeah that in the final scene of that movie yeah really cool the, no the payoff's so good yeah really cool yeah and uh it's actually uh, based on a novel and the novel's really good mm-hmm. um the author's been, like, badgered for years to make a sequel. And he oh, made, really? like, a a sequel that's in... It's a short story, and it actually comes back to the characters later on, but almost through the eyes of, like, other characters. That's just cool. Just to finally appease people who yeah. are bugging the shit out of them. 
The final one I've got, um, it's going to be hard to find. In fact, I don't know where you could find it except for like DVD or VHS off uh, eBay currently. But it was actually a 2002 TV miniseries. I think it was for AMC. And it's actually based off a Stephen King novel called Rose Red. And what I like about it is it's Stephen King having made basically a classic haunted house story. He makes all sorts of cool creepy stories but this one is just your classic haunted house and it's about um well obviously a haunted mansion it takes place in seattle and it has i believe it's 26 different psychics go there to try to figure out why it's haunted but because it's a mini series there's a lot of time for character development and a lot of time for different really creepy moments without it feeling rushed Hmm. like a movie would yeah it is a little bit campy uh, in parts, what, just because it's a miniseries. Yeah, well, 2002, so close oh, okay. enough. okay, yeah, yeah. You know, Early probably was filmed in 2000, 2001. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed it, and that I haven't cool. seen it in 12 years. But yeah, it's really cool. As a classic haunted house, I, I, I honestly want to say movie, but it's not. The miniseries, I just watched them all back to back. I couldn't eat them up fast enough. Me and my dad, we just went right through them. Ah, so, cool. Yeah, if you find it rose red, give it a watch. Rose red, that sounds really cool. Okay, my final one. Uh, now, this is one that I would say certainly leans more towards the thriller, psychological thriller side. But it's a 2010 South Korean film, I Saw the Devil. This, uh, okay, so this National Intelligence Agency agent, um, <laughs> the NIS, I had to look up what that was. But this, this agent is, it's kind of like his story of revenge against this like psychopath that brutally murdered his fiance. Like the, his fiance gets like dismembered and her body parts like strewn across the city. And so as, as people are like finding parts of her and the police is like getting onto the case, he, he finds evidence of who the killer was and of course enacts his own, his own justice, quote unquote. But it's it's cool because it like changes it like t- it turns the hunted or hunter into the hunted. So this agent finds the killer and beats the shit out of him, like puts this tracker inside of him so he can always know where he is. But then just like leaves and then is repeatedly like coming back to him and just like like beating the shit out of him. Like they wow. get into these these fights and he's just like like torturously like <laughs> that sounds pretty cool yeah I, I, i'll knock you down all right i'm out of here oh hey i'll see you in a day once you've recovered a little bit and he comes and he just beats the shit out of him again and yeah the the finale is really really good uh that's awesome. a great it's really it's really cool it's really good and it's like um and actually the the psychopath is the same actor that uh played the protagonist of the korean version of old boy oh i love the korean version of old yeah boy. old boy is really good yeah, it's great. It's a good movie. I would definitely check it out if you can find it. The, the American version's not as good, but the one scene with the kid who's like, Father! And then he gets blown away with a shotgun. That, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's my recommendation. So you see, listener, we're not just about the lowbrow, campy, over-the-top violence stuff. We're about coming-of-age stories. Yeah. <laughs> so, boys, uh, peace and goodwill to men? Um, <laughs> Thus ends the festivities for today with yeah. the joy. Happy holidays. Of- Merry Christmas. <laughs> Sweet uh, dreams. Happy New Year. <laughs> have visions of headless sugar plums. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, I guess we'll wrap it up, right? So yeah. if you like what we're doing, uh, you could visit us, our website at ttpopcast.wordpress.com. 
that's where you'll find our show notes. With I'll put in some definitely some some links to maybe some IMDb pages of uh, some of these movies we mentioned, kind of stuff. And also, it will be where you'll find our newly anointed review list. I don't know what we're gonna call it. ranking review rankings. <laughs> what entries or whatever. <laughs> and I didn't mention when I talked about. Uh, across the board and brawling brothers i didn't give out their twitter handle so go check them out on twitter if you partake in the twitter twat uh across the board is atb podcast 2017 and brawling brothers is at brawlin bros go check those guys out great podcasts great content great uh uh board game content i almost said great about cardboard content we get it they're good they're good all right just go listen to them go listen to them give them their own reviews uh check us out on facebook let us know some of your favorite horror movies or, you know, maybe you take some of our recommendations and uh, you enjoy what we recommended. Yeah, just give us a give us a pat on the back. We need some – we just want to be loved. That's why we do this. We're clamoring for attention. Yeah. Okay. Why else it. would we do it? <laughs> yeah, right? We're just attention we Otherwise, friends. I'm just sitting at home talking to myself saying yeah. that stuff. You know, it's funny. When we were out, uh, Marty just actually recently had a birthday. We were out for his dinner. Like, the three of us kind of just, like, did our podcast. Came into a corner. <laughs> and just, we, like, started talking as if we were, like, uh, I was, like, five minutes in. I was, like, guys, where the hell are the mics? <laughs> like, it's so true. We totally uh, fell into, like, we that rhythm. absolutely did, which, well, is, which is cool. I like it. All right. Well, anyways. I busted out the sunglasses in the middle <laughs> yeah, of the bar. Threw my hood. Anyways, I have been Leland Steele. Thank you, listener. This is Marty. And this is Moby. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. <laughs>